Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of Electric Liberty Land. This is Electric Liberty Land, Liberty Land, excuse me, number five, which means you can go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL5 to find this show, all the show notes for this show, and links to everything else that you might love in life. I might throw an ad for something that you love in there. You don't know until you go. Could be anything. But guys, also, while I have your attention here, please do go join us on the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook. Just type in Lions of Liberty right there. Bam, yours to love. Also, follow us on Twitter at Lions of Liberty. And also, if you wouldn't mind, if you're enjoying this show or many others, go check us out on iTunes. Rate us a five-star review. As you know, we've got a few shows here. We've got Mark Clare on Mondays doing in-depth interviews with basically uh, some of the biggest names in the libertarian movement. we got me with Electric Liberty Land boogieing out here on Wednesdays and John Odermatt on Felony Fridays. So check all those shows out. And uh, yeah, we love you. So on today's show, I want to introduce a guy, one of my favorite guests, a libertarian and a comedian, a comedian. Uh, just love this guy to death, Ryan Stout. What's up, Ryan? Oh, I, is it my understanding this is episode five? Yes. Okay. I made the top five. I made the top five. Yes, you did. That. Isn't that I a, snuck right in? I, ha- I said <laughs> I got to get him in here, man. And you and you beat the Chinese New Year. I think I'm not looking at a calendar, but. You beat the new year. I think you're the rooster. Things are going to go real downhill for this show. So way to get on it on the uh, on the upswing rather than the downswing. You know what? And you know what's strange? People would say that you're being negative, but I actually have a more negative view, which is this podcast going to take off. It's going to take off. It's going to blow up. You're going to do five million episodes, and I'm not going to be able to get back on again because you're going to have more popular guests. I love and I it. I would say I would say that's a more negative view than yours because somehow I've thought of a long term thing where I've been ousted. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like your negative positive outlook on the world. It's just it's, I always lose. I always lose. <laughs> that's it. And that should be the name of your next comedy album. <laughs> but by the way, guys, go check out ryanstout.com. Simple enough. Also, make sure you follow Ryan on Twitter at Stout Ryan. Uh, you can find him in all of his wonderful jokes. And also, by the way, while we're while we're chatting here, uh, Ryan, where can people that are listening find you on the road? I know you're traveling a little bit in the coming months. Um, I will be in San Francisco, February 23 through 25. I'll be at the Funny Bone in St. Louis, March 1st through the 6th. And, and then I will be in San Antonio, Texas, the uh, March 29 through April 1. So, uh, yeah, San Francisco, St. Louis, San Antonio. That's what's that's what's coming up in the next month or so. Yeah. And so make sure that he knows you're there from the Lions of Liberty. So make sure I'd say what, how long sets are you doing? Probably half hour. So I'd say maybe 27 minutes in right as he's right in the middle of his uh, his final joke set up. Just yell out Lions of Liberty as loud as you can at him. <laughs> Comics love it. Um, and as always, you know, being a, a libertarian yourself, I think you would encourage uh, some consumer responsibility. So I always encourage people to look me up on YouTube first, mm-hmm. see if I'm see if I'm uh, their taste in comedy, and if I'm not, then I encourage them not to come. <laughs> but if I am their taste in comedy, well, by all means, come on out. But do not do not just show up to the show and then demand that I somehow fit your idea of what you think comedy should be. Don't do that to me. I don't need that. 
Damn well right, man. I, you know what? Although I kind of do like the concept of people just showing up and then mumbling what the fuck for a straight half hour under their breath <laughs> and just barely audibly where you can kind of hear it out of the side. Well, and by the way, you're allowed to do that. People do that at museums all the time. Just you, you don't get to complain to the venue and have them tear down the paintings when you don't like something. Has somebody t- has it, has, I'm convinced that somebody has gone to a comedy club where your face is on the wall and been like, tear this down. Take this off. He is not a comedian. I've decided. Well, we talked a lot about comedy in the last podcast as well. So I, I remember the last time you were on back, it was a it was for a um, a Gary Johnson on and off. Right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. it was. And uh, we talked a lot about, though, just the nature of comedy in that. And I will link to that in the show notes, guys. Definitely check that out. Uh, a lot of deep conversations about comedy, how comedy works and the different audiences involved with comedy. And that kind of is a natural segue. Watch this into the first thing I want to talk about here. Which let me let me set this up for a, for a hot second. Um, so I was having a Facebook, you know, I, I was perusing Facebook during my day, killing time as we are all want to do. Terrible idea. Hard, but always, go ahead. Always yeah, a bad idea, that. especially right now, especially right <laughs> now, where all I find myself doing is, even though I don't even like Trump that much, I find myself defending Trump because I get so angry reading all this anti-Trump stuff, which is just crazy. Like people tearing their hair out and shrieking because, you know, everything he does. So when I see somebody post something and he goes, basically, the post was this said, big oil has, you know, millions of dollars and yada, 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 yada. And uh, big green doesn't have any of that behind it. Thus, that means that uh, that oil science and any research that that is going against the accepted doctrine of climate science uh, doesn't matter. Because, you know, anything that, that comes out is big oil's fault. That's basically mm. the concept that was behind this post. Okay. So a very simple reply on my part. I just said that's that's patently untrue. You know, I mean, let's say big yes. green. Big green is indeed, uh, in my opinion, an industry. It's got a massive amount of support behind it, both from grants government-wise and education systems. And also, just because the oil industry funds a study doesn't mean that it's smart or good science to ignore it. Now, let's just say, what what is your opinion on that? Is big green a thing? Because that was that was the actual question this guy was raised. And I'll tell you how much, after I get your opinion, I, I'll tell you just how a- aggravating, like just, I wanted to just smash my own face into the desk to knock myself unconscious so I wouldn't have to, to talk to these people any longer. Oh, right. The argument that big green is not a thing is you're, you're correct, patently false. I mean, you, you look at uh, the World Wildlife Fund, you look at uh, um, Greenpeace, you look at all these things that have millions and millions of dollars, and they can certainly afford lobbyists, and they can certainly fund studies like uh, via private donation alone and government grants, like you said, they certainly have power. Um, do they have the power that big oil has? I don't know if I would go that far, but, um, uh, you know, anybody ignoring the power that they do have is is just being willfully ignorant. Right. And, and that's the thing is, too, that was one of the things that people tried to argue to change, you know, to move the, basically move the goalpost is they'd go, well, uh-huh. well, they don't have as much influence as big oil. And I said, well, they, yeah, that's fine. I can understand that. 
Of course mm-hmm. they don't. Big oil's been around for years. Big, big oil killed the rail system in our lovely metropolis here of, of Los Angeles. Which oh, still I has know. Never recovered. <laughs> right. In a lot of cities, ended up tearing out the the uh, very efficient streetcars and replacing them with automobiles. Yeah. And uh, um, you know, my dad and grand- grandfather worked for General Motors, so <laughs> they were like, "Go, oh, man!" Uh, they, they were manning the, manning the crowbars for every single one of them. They got ripped out. And now neither one of them owns a GM vehicle. <laughs> what do they drive now, those filthy foreign import loving bastards? Uh, um, actually, you know what? My dad, I think, does still have a Chevy truck. But uh, uh, they ended up uh, – one of my dad's cars is a Hyundai. That We're Hyundai people here. Yeah. I just yeah. want a new one. Yes. We, no. we're, but we have two Hyundais in our house. We're a Hyundai household. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it is, point, I mean, it yeah. is fascinating that uh, it, to, to just say that, well, Big Green doesn't have as much money as Big Oil, so we can ignore Big Oil and right. then focus on Big Green. Like, how do you make that argument? <laughs> I, I just I don't understand it. It's like to say to say, OK, we're going to just completely undermine any science that comes out of. And it was it was extended, like not only from the oil corporations, but any science that would challenge the accepted norm of, yes, man is causing global warming, which. And look, whatever, you know, I'm of the mind to say, okay, I think the global warming exists as of, you know, there is climate change. Now, I don't know what man's role in that is. And I don't know, I can't authoritatively say that anyone can tell you what the climate is going to be like in 20 years, because every single model has been wrong. But to say you can't accept any science that challenges it because big oil has so much money is ridiculous. And like Um, what you were talking about, you know, they've got grants. They've got these private organizations. They've got, but the thing people don't realize too is that big, big green also encompasses all the educational uh, and academic universities and colleges and all these people that are like actively, (laughs) they are living off of big green. You know? That's a funny idea that like big oil does not have a professor right. in place <laughs> at any major university. <laughs> yeah, there's no professor. Yeah, there's no professor of oil <laughs> studies out there. Like, oh, my job's on the line. You know, right, right, right. And they're not. You know, no one's. No one, there's no charity out there. No one's giving to the uh, the Exxon fund. You know, to to fund. I don't even know what they what they fund. I don't know more drilling. Right. No one's giving to more drilling charities. Well, and the thing in America, in in our country, the way our economy works, the American dream is that you have a product to sell, and by doing so, you get money, and then you can do whatever you want with that money. Um, Big Green doesn't really have a product to sell, you know? It's exactly. So L- living, living, I guess. That That's they it. Would like, <laughs> the, the idea that they take in money so that they can push an idea um, – is is one thing. I mean, if you could pull that off, great. But you don't get anything in return for that necessarily. So it's hard to like, I don't know, turn over a profit and put that into advertising and put that <laughs> into studies. Like, it, it, you're you're coming from two different angles as far as approaching power. Yeah, true. Well, their power is just it's a it's a power based upon fear at this point, isn't it? I mean, they're they're they've convinced the world that uh, we're all going to die unless drastic action is taken, and we have to force through these changes and energy policy, which, you know, you look at Germany's energy policy, they went all green energy and their energy trust like tripled. I think they just there's a movement in their German parliamentary system to take away the power from the people that had the regulation uh, authority (laughs) over it because they're like, it's too high. We can't deal with it. We just can't. We just can't Um, do it anymore. We're going back in the Deutsche Mark for Christ's sake, just because of this. No, I don't know why. I I do have a problem, though, with, um, you know, um, you know, like Republicans who are against 
uh, things like solar and wind mm-hmm. and alternative energy, because those Republicans tend to say, hey, look, if the world is heating up, we can't do anything from a government level to change that. We need to let the market fix it. If somebody's brilliant and inventive, they will come up with something that will solve the problem. That's that's kind of their angle, right? Mm-hmm. And then they turn around and they say things like, well, solar and wind and other alternatives just aren't viable. They're just right. not viable. And you you want to say, OK, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want somebody to solve this problem or do you want to say that there is no problem? Right. Like it's a weird it, it's a weird dynamic in that area where there's a little bit of a, a gray area and a little bit of conflict, I think, ideologically. Yeah, I think one of the problems coming like from a libertarian point of view, I think one of the problems that arises with uh, green energy so much and, and the same thing with oil. So really, I guess it's even par, but it's aggravating because oil has squashed so much green initiative is that they push through uh, subsidies for so much green stuff, which then don't necessarily work out. Like Solyndra is the obvious example there, where it's like, you know, all these millions of dollars for a company that would bankrupt that was solar. But then again, the oil also is getting tons of tax breaks here and there and everywhere and, you know, for years and years. So the government's kind of pushing both ways, I guess, where they're getting mm-hmm. they're subsidizing everything, where you'd be nice to see everybody step back and just say, yeah, like you said, just so, how about somebody just come up with a great solution and figure it out? I mean, there's always this rumor <laughs> of hydrogen power is going to be the next big thing. Or, you know, if you see people talking about water engines that work and power stuff and yada, yada. But, you know, I, I just don't know how much is going on behind the scenes to squish different industries or to promote industries, which like even the green, they, you know, we could subsidize the hell out of it. But it only still is functional for like solar in I think like Nevada or other like super sunny like California would probably work. So, oh, right, you right. know, it's, it'd be nice to see the free market work um, to the extent where, yeah, you can just be hands off. And especially like third world countries where you see like that's where all this regulation they're trying to push through on a global scale. They're going to crush those industries or those economies, yeah. you know. Well, I just think about automobiles. Like we think about the electric car 20 years ago and people shrug and smile and people on the far right go, ah, it's a pipe dream. Don't even bother. It'll never be as good as a a gas powered engine. And then here we are 20 years later and we're like, "Uh, no, no, no. People drive those all the time. Well, They're hey, all hey 20 years ago, they had electric cars, and then the auto industry squashed them, right? You ever oh, see yeah, that yeah. documentary? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think I saw it at the Arclight. I think I saw it, it was like w- right when it came out. Uh, <laughs> you which, and which... Uh, Ted, Be- Ted Begley, or Ed Begley Jr., right? Was he there <laughs> weeping next to you openly? <laughs> <laughs> he was. He was He was cooking popcorn over an open flame. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it, that, that even – speaks to my point even further that we had electric cars 20 years ago and people still didn't believe it was a possibility. Yeah. And just think <laughs> how far that industry could have gone if they hadn't proactively crushed it and gotten rid, you know, gotten rid of the electric cars. Cause you know, you look at the advancement of electric cars in the last few years. Now, granted that has a lot to do with general technology advancement and computing, but I mean, mm-hmm. just the batteries, if we hadn't gotten in the way of that, think where they'd be right now. Right. I mean, humanity and technology always advances anytime we discover new materials, anytime we can figure out how to employ new materials in new ways. Science just skyrockets. And uh, the idea that oil's great and we can use it until it runs out and that'll be X number of years. Um, so we're fine. I just hate that idea because I'm like, oh, you're not actually thinking forward about how we might learn to use new materials. Yeah. So that might end up solving all of our problems. But 
uh, where we started was talking about Big Green taking in money and then using that money to employ power, which they do. Yeah, they yeah, absolutely exactly. do. <laughs> yeah. And it's just that's um, what was driving me so nuts in this conversation was even at the end, after arguing and arguing, going over all the points that we've, we've hit on and, and a thousand more, because, you know, as with any typically any argument uh, I, I have on Facebook, ideologically, it typically is me versus the world when it comes to these type of issues. So, of course, you know, there's 15 people. And, and look, I invited this misery on myself by commenting on a guy's <laughs> Facebook page. Just clearly was very pro-green. Uh, so I invited myself into into the, the mishmasher. But, yeah. you know, I after think- all that, though, he still wouldn't admit it. It still would not, it could not admit the concept that, yes, big green is a thing and they have lobbying power and they exist. Yeah, it's so, I think when people consider their position too too deeply when they actually think about what they believe they run into dead ends and i personally like that because when i hit a dead end when i have an absolute conundrum and i go okay well if you believe this but this other fact is true do you still really believe this and you know it's a personal crisis and people just hate having personal crises well nobody so, likes to admit when they're wrong but yeah crisis that's yeah. where you find growth and you know what you might be wrong right that's not and a bad people, thing to learn i'd rather learn when i'm wrong that feeling they no, hate yeah. feeling wrong and so then they go well if i'm just gonna think about it real hard only to feel wrong then i won't think about it real hard right exactly <laughs> or they'll only read uh websites and hang out with people that confirm their own biases Correct. There's this interesting book. It came out a few years ago by this uh, Stanford professor called Carol S. Dweck, Hmm. and uh, it was called Mindset. And she basically proposed this theory about uh, fixed mindset. And uh, she did this study with some children, and she said, uh, hey, put together a puzzle, and the kid would put together the puzzle, and she would say, hey, you did great. You're a great puzzle solver. She, she gave the kid that fixed notion of themselves. And then she said, here's another puzzle. Do you want to do it? It's a little bit harder. And the kid would kind of do it a little bit and then go, yeah, you know, I don't feel like doing this. Or she would give the kid a really hard puzzle and say, this one's really tough. And the kid wouldn't even try it. You know why? Because the kid's already been told, oh, I'm a great puzzle solver. If I actually try to do this and fail, mm-hmm. what does that mean about me? Yeah, exactly right. And I think people run so, that in their careers as well so often. I mean, we're now we're really going off on a tangent here. But I mean, sure. it, I think so often people are so terrified to, to uh, live their dreams or go after their dreams because what if they do find out that they're not good enough? I mean, there's a million excuses that you can make during your life. Oh, the time's not right. I got to save money for this. I can't leave my job. For that exact reason, you say, well, I'm terrified to find out that this dream, which I've always held up as this shining beacon I'm striving towards, uh-huh. uh, has never been a reality. It could never, never happen for me because I'm just not good enough. Yeah, we live in that society that fixates on success. And if you don't have whatever your idea of success is, well, then obviously you're a failure. And the solution is don't fix an idea of success. Yeah, <laughs> Just precisely. be curious, go out, try things. Just try to solve the puzzle. Just try to be a good puzzle solver. Don't don't necessarily have the idea in your mind that you need to be. Um, but I, I wanted to segue back into what you like to talk about, which is uh, politics, by <laughs> saying uh, I – I am not a big fan of President Trump. I mm-hmm. did not like him all the way through his campaign. I don't like a lot of things he does now, but I will say this about him that I do like, and I think it's important for everybody to look at people they don't like and find good qualities. I do like that he took the position of president and he didn't have any 
diehard political agendas or beliefs that were already in place. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He didn't have a constituency that he had to uh, obey. No, that's true. Yeah, he's got uh, nobody he, – he, unlike many politicians or people that have been in the arena for so long, yeah, he doesn't have uh, the baying hounds at him all the time you know, because of their contributions to him or their support for years and years in the political theater that say, yeah. no, you have to go on this issue and you have to push right. it through. You've played ball with us this far. You better keep doing it or we're going to turn on you. He doesn't have any of that. Yeah. Um, I've always I, – I have appreciated with that with him. I don't quite know what he's doing with that or what he plans to do with that. But uh, right now, I think he's just uh, testing the waters uh, the way he would any business. Yeah. Well, you know I mean? that's like his pattern is he throws things out. And he did this all during his campaigning too. And we were uh, kind of mesmerized by it. You know, I've talked about this on the, on the podcast a bunch and how Scott Adams, who wrote Dilbert, uh, he has this whole blog about how Trump's a wizard and his manipulation of the press. And like, even right now, he's manipulating the hell out of the press. He just keeps putting out these different things and they jump on it like a dog to a bone. And then he, you know, pivots left and does something else. And then they're left like frantically trying to figure out what the hell's going on. But he mm-hmm. constantly does like, like you said, he puts his toe in, but I guess he actually more cannonballs in. And then when people go, that was too big of a splash, Donald, he goes, I'm sorry, I'll pull it back. I'll pull it back to a cannon. <laughs> you know, and he, he keeps doing that over and over. We're like, right. you know, like, look at this. Yeah, so I want to talk about the Muslim ban with you. Quote, unquote, okay. Muslim ban is what people are calling it. So basically Trump's executive order to um, it, people thought it was all the people coming in. It's really just for the refugees and just from certain specific countries, seven countries. But like for this this ban, he puts this thing out and everybody goes, oh, my God, all the people with green cards aren't allowed back into the country. And, and Iraqis were detained in airports that were that had, you know, were Christians and that they had visas. Sure. And, you know, I, I'm sure you read a little bit about that. Well, yeah, they, they found the most high profile victims they could. Yeah. And they said, you know, this is a person who's a professor. This is a scientist who's working on the cure for tuberculosis and they can't get back in. Right. Like, what what is he thinking? Right. But and then, and then and then you hear, oh, no, no, it's not actually the green card. Never mind. <laughs> so, you know, it rolls back in. But so what are your general thoughts on on this executive order? What are, what are your thoughts on Trump's executive orders as a whole without getting too much into detail? Um, but just, you know, so far, because he's come out swinging with the executive orders and then specifically about this. Yeah, this most this most recent executive order that really seems to have pushed people even farther. And and as I say that, I will caveat and say I've liked some of what Trump has done, like term limits for a congressman he wants to do. He wants to uh, limit lobbying ability for congressmen to leave office. He's put a freeze on hiring and he has curtailed regulations. All of that, I think, is great. But this one uh, has gotten me very worried. And a couple of things we're going to talk about later in the show are also very worried. <laughs> um, I I think that right now it's still very early on, and b- what he's trying to do is he's trying to make very big orders so that he can find people who will dissent. And as soon as they do, he tries to figure out, you know, well, let's let's get them out of the picture. Let's make sure they can't be a problem. Hmm. Um, because he did get if rid of a lot of his staff. <laughs> he, uh, I mean, what's her name? Yates. Yeah, he, yeah, Sally Yates. You know, she she stood up for you know, what she believes the law to be. And then he went, ah, okay, well, you're not needed anymore. (laughs) And uh, that to me is uh, a direct road to fascism. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, he wants <laughs> but he clearly he wants yes men. That's for damn sure. Absolutely. He likes that a lot. And even now, um, I, I saw something today that he's not going to be sending any um, any representatives to CNN anymore because he feels like CNN treats him unfairly. So he he just won't uh, work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting to the Muslim ban. Which, he, of course, he talked about during his campaign, a yep. ban on Muslims. He talked about that, right? Yeah. No, no, he did. Yeah. He, he did. It was one of his campaign points that. for sure. And then he does this and then immediately goes, no, 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 but it's not a, ma- a ban on Muslims. And you go, but you said that you were going to do that. <laughs> and now – and he's done that. You know, We've watched him do that for years now. He says one thing, he follows through on it, and then he goes, ah, oh, but it's not what I said it was. It's a different thing now. Um, it's, it's baffling to me that uh, anybody believes that this is going to make the country safer. Yep. I do not believe that. I believe that's going to incite a lot of anti-American uh, feelings abroad. And I feel like the people that are in favor of it are people who live in the middle of the country, where, of course, you know, I grew up in the middle of the country, and I have family who's in the middle of the country. And uh, I feel like it's a lot of people who do not know any refugees, where I sit in West Hollywood, where my neighbors are refugees. Mm-hmm. And two of them are professors, and two of them are doctors. Well, exactly. And that's like, okay. that's the point, too, is two of them are professors and two of them are doctors. Why? Because the U.S. vets already the living shit out of refugees. And we yeah. let in the refugees that are more likely to give us something that we could use as a society, mm-hmm. like doctors <laughs> and professors. You know, so like you were saying, there's no way this is going to make us safer. And it definitely will foster horrible sentiment. It'll be used without a doubt as a recruiting tool tool by jihadists and ISIS and everybody else saying, oh, they don't want you. They think you're, you're trash. You're not allowed in their country. That surely will happen. And I was looking up some statistics on this. It's since 1980 when the last Refugee Act was put into place. There's been zero deaths. Zero. (laughs) None. None from refugees. There was one attack in 2016, and that was it. And that didn't kill anybody, and that was like the one thing. I don't know. But no, nothing. Nothing has happened because Uh the refugees, again, they're they're so vetted already. Like, what more vetting is he going to do? The process right now takes 24 months Wow. What can you add wow. on to it? Are they going to bend little robots to crawl up people's asses? Like, what more can you do to these people before yeah, they get we in? Need to, we need to track them and their location at all times. It's like, yeah, and, put a little uh, necklace on them or something. Like, what? <laughs> And and then what are the statistics going to reveal? Yep, we've been tracking them. We put the robots in their asses, and they're still not killing people. Yeah. So uh, clearly what we're doing is working. Yeah, look at him. He's teaching a class at the refugee camp like a filthy <laughs> terrorist would. Yeah, so you got that. And then also you have McCain, right? You know, And it's funny, it's funny to watch people like McCain. Like McCain is like, oh, this band's a bad idea. It's going to rile people up and there can be blowback, which is true. This is like the, one of the few times uh-huh. I've ever agreed with John McCain on anything. But at the same time, you also have neocons constantly advocating for the other side of the spectrum, which is bombing the living hell out of everybody, which oh, also God. does not necessarily help when it comes to uh, winning the hearts and minds. Of, of people abroad, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it turns out America came in, bombed everybody, and uh, we think they did a good job at it. Just look at all the rubble. <laughs> they do the best bombings, America. They do the best ones. Yeah, they love it over there. The kids look at their <laughs> little stump arms. They say, nobody yet. I didn't need that hand. Let me just take a quick break here for a quick word from our sponsor. Take it away, Mark. Hey, guys. I know there are a lot 
of podcasts out there. There's a lot of competition for your ears, and it's hard to find time to listen to everything. But there's one show that I make sure to carve out the time to listen to every single day, and that's the Jason Stapleton program. Jason has been a guest on this show before, and he really does a fantastic job with his show, where he breaks down current events from a libertarian perspective five days per week. That's right, five days per week. I don't know how he does it, but it's not just a podcast. It's also a live daily studio show, which broadcasts over at jasonstapleton.com. You can, of course, find his podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, Wherever you listen to this podcast, you should have no problem finding Jason Stapleton as well. And the great thing about Jason's show is that it's so professionally done that you have no concerns about sharing it with your parents, your friends, your family. You're not going to get any of that Alex Jones conspiracy stuff. You're just going to get straightforward talk about libertarian ideals in our rapidly changing world. Be sure to check out the Jason Stapleton program. I do find it fascinating that people were very quick to point out um, in the media that he didn't he didn't ban any countries where he does business. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, true. Well, Saudi Arabia which, never was going to be banned just because the U.S. I, I, it seems to want to support them through thick and thin. Right. Like we can't we can't seem to, to ever do anything to combat them despite their horrible women record with women. And they still kill people that are, you know, that, that, uh, disobey their laws and they're still funding atrocious acts in Yemen, I think. Uh huh. Yeah. And, and it's, I, I just like that. Um, and the, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, yep. there's still, there's still nothing happening with Saudi Arabia. And, uh, uh, as you were saying, and I also like this idea that when we put out these, these lists of where Trump is banning people from and where he's not banning p- people from, instead of pointing out the truth, which is, oh, the U S would never ban people from Saudi Arabia. Instead, they just point to this idea of, well, this fits Trump's business agenda. And you go, oh, come on guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just desperately pulling at strings now to see what, what's going to come loose with the sweater. Yeah. Kind, kind of along that same line. And this, this may be a little, uh, leap off topic, but, uh, you know, when Hillary Clinton lost the election, people really desperately wanted to point to sexism because mm. that fit their agenda, that fit what they believed. Nobody ever pointed to the fact that, um, listen, we just had a Democrat in the Oval Office for eight years. The chances of another Democrat getting in, were th- that was completely off the table. Like, it just wasn't going to happen. That hasn't happened since uh, what FDR and uh, uh, Truman. Yeah, exactly. And it, it has to be in the middle of a horrible war. That, right. That's the only and, way to keep it going in the same kind of regime. Yeah, and it it, it wasn't going to happen. America, vo- American voters don't work like that. But instead of just pointing to that as the truth and even pointing and saying Hillary Clinton knows that. She knows that's the case. She knows she's up against the hardest battle of her life, and she knows the American people are probably going to vote Republican anyway. Um, instead, they were like, no, nope, impossible. She, this was this was rigged and yeah. uh, sexism <laughs> and, Putin. and sexism <laughs> and it was all these other things. And it was like, come on, that's pretty much politics as usual in America. <laughs> right. No, precisely right. And I, and I love how they can't like the Democrats cannot admit that their candidate was horribly flawed in every way, just on top of anything else. Just even if they even like you said, even if they throw out a good candidate. It probably would have been a difficult climb because it was just eight years of Obama and the country. Really, they, they're 
making it out like Obama's leaving this amazing legacy, but he's really not. I mean, there's not. Well, and and even and I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, when you say difficult climb, I would even say statistically impossible climb. <laughs> statistically impossible <laughs> that it was going to happen for them. And yet they acted like it was in the bag. Right. And they won't criticize her still. They can't it, say, it, you so- know what? We really put out a, a real sack of turds there. And then we <laughs> just set, we just let her set herself on fire. The sack of shit. When I, I find this unique, <laughs> at least I think at, I'm in talking to many libertarians. And even though we were, we were on, on team Gary Johnson, uh, I won't say a team Bill Weld because I hated Bill Weld, but at least team Johnson for all his flaws. We can be honest that we were honest with ourselves and saying he's not the best. We could have done no. a lot better with a candidate. But you know what? He's the best during right. this election. We're going to support him. But looking back now, we're like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ. We really uh, really swung and missed <laughs> on that one. You know, <laughs> like we can be I, honest about it, at least. Yes. Uh, the the um, anti third party sentiment for the past um, let's just say forever. Um, the 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 pressure from both parties, Democrat and Republican, to say voting third party is throwing away your vote. They really won in this election. Yeah, like yeah. that sentiment might have been like we we felt like this would be the election where that sentiment might die. But no, that is that seems cemented in for America now. Well, it definitely after after all the gaffes and then after Jill Stein's. I don't even know, recounting and saying bizarre things after and just pointless bullshit. That also, yeah, did not help the third party. So, right. yeah, we've got quite the climb. I mean, and, maybe and, we'll get lucky and Rand Paul will somehow <laughs> split and run uh, libertarian. That would be a miracle. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but that's the only way I could see a legitimate run for a third party coming up. Right. You'd have to have and, a real and, king uh, king of industry leave and, and run in place. And I know this is a uh, – it tries to be a current event podcast, and, and we are reaching way back to a few <laughs> months ago. But I like how you sputtered around and talked about the possible future. There you go. That's what it's all about on the show. We started doing that. <laughs> yeah. And now we're doing it in the middle with your you and your prognostication, your negative positive prognostication. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. It'll, and I'll get screwed over in the end, but you'll all be fine. Well, speaking of screwing things over, here's a topic we can talk about. Uh, so – Yemen, I mentioned it earlier when we were talking about, uh, you know, the different actions in Saudi Arabia and how Yemen's just really a horrible, horrible place. But the U.S. has kind of left Yemen alone for a while. Uh, ever since, actually, I think Barack Obama dropped a drone bomb on Anwar al-Awaki. I'm probably mm-hmm. saying that wrong, but I think you know who I mean. I do know who you mean. That it Wasn't he Wasn't he an ex-American? He was, yeah. He's yeah. an American citizen. His kids were both American. He had a 16-year-old son who also died in that drone attack and an 8-year-old daughter who just got killed in Trump's very first military-sanctioned action, which took place in Yemen just yesterday. And that was basically what happened is they flew in some drones, some Reaper drones uh, to do provide some cover. Then they landed a chopper, which had some issues landing and uh, kind of half crash landed. A couple seals got injured. One seal got killed actually during this raid. And during this raid, which was just to collect, quote unquote, uh, I don't know, their their meetings and their their bake sales to raise money for terrorism, which is unconfirmed. They're just kind of going and fishing. <laughs> but they right. shot this and, you know, Anwar al-Awaki. Uh, they shot his eight-year-old daughter in the neck and killed her. Ugh. Ugh. Awful. We we do the best drone strikes. That's that's all. The that's, best. Uh, 
That's all that Trump had to say to CNN. We do the best. I heard it was fantastic. We we got a lot of information out of it. I think they did say they got a lot of information out of it, which I don't know how you do that when you don't take any hostages. I don't know either. They they really killed everybody in the house. Yeah, I mean they went in there guns blazing, like they had you know ground teams and they just shot everybody and killed. Like that's what the witnesses said. They killed everybody. Mm -hmm. So yeah, how do you total of ten women killed? Uh, We lost one member of SEAL Team 6. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I think we should mention that eight-year-old girl technically was an American. Yes. Yes, she was. Um, so uh, what's what's strange about this to me, my mind immediately goes to people on the far right who do not want to give Barack Obama any credit for taking out Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. They don't want to give him any credit for that. He deserves nothing. He just happened to be president during that time. I'm wondering if those same people then in this instance say, well, this isn't Donald Trump's fault. That's Bro. that's boots on the ground doing that. They probably would argue that or they'd say, well, Trump didn't know that she was there, but I'm sure she knew he w- that, that that girl was in there. And and plus, I'm sure there were you know that there were women in there and anybody else they got killed. And it, right. you look at also Donald Trump, when he was running, we're talking about, uh, you know, get going in the Wayback Machine, but on his same campaign slogan of, you know, ban on Muslims. Didn't he say that he wanted to go in and, you know, we, hey, terrorists, hey, ISIS, if you don't knock it off, we're going to kill your families? He did say that. Right? I'm not yes. making that up. Right? And so, so in his very first attempt, he ends up killing the family members of terrorists who are already dead. He's, like, that's a hell of a vendetta. A, that's a that's cold like mother upper. <laughs> that's like, that's Sicilian gangster movie style yeah. stuff. <laughs> Your where, family's dead. Your kids yeah, are dead. I'm going to take it out on you and the generations that came after you. And again, I don't know if this is like I talked about earlier, where Trump is just testing the waters. Like, it almost reminds me of, did you ever see American Gangster with Denzel Washington? Yeah, I, no, one, I don't remember it well, but yeah. There's one scene in the streets where um, he's confronting one of his rivals over money and uh, the rivals laughing at him tall guy much taller than denzel and laughing at him saying what are you going to do and denzel pulls out a gun and the guy laughs he's like what are you going to do shoot me here in the streets and denzel puts the gun to his head fires the bullet the guy falls denzel puts the gun down and then walks into the cafe across the street sits down and says all right where were we (laughs) and he starts having lunch yeah and you know, you do you do big displays of power like that in order to instill fear in people so that they will follow your lead. And this this kind of reminds me of that. Like, we're just going to go in and shoot the place up and say, all right, that's strike number one, everybody. Who wants to come next? And I do not like those displays of power. <laughs> no, no, neither do I. But I am sure in Trump's mind to help him sleep at night, he will say, I've made a statement you know, I, I killed a, I killed this eight year old girl. I killed the kid like I said I was going to, and I'm following through on my promises. So, right. I mean, well, least, I, I'm guessing maybe he look maybe he didn't know, and uh, but I, I think he had to. Yeah, and and by the way, when I say these big displays of power and I don't like them, I still have to admit that they do work. And so there's a morality issue here. Like if you do want to, you know, enact your will upon the world, you say, well, I had to do that. That's the cost of doing business. And you go, ah, I don't want to be in charge of the business. No, exactly. Well, Saddam Hussein, uh, that's why there was no terrorism really at all when Saddam Hussein was reigning over that region. Mm -hmm. You look at his horrible tactics. I mean, that's a man who literally – 
if you crossed him, he would find you. He'd cut off your ears and cut off your nose and cut off your hands and all this stuff. And then he'd murder your family and he'd murder your uncles and he'd murder your parents and he'd string them up in the in the yard for everybody to see. And it, you know what? Very effective. And and he was our enemy. Yeah. And now we've become him. We have become what we have tried to kill. Uh, right. And and, 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 and we have people celebrating that. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sad it's a sad state of affairs. I really don't want to hear about any drone strikes. I never like that. Yeah, well, it's also, you know, we we haven't even mentioned this topic yet, but it was unconstitutional when Obama used the drone strike to kill these two Americans the first time, and it's unconstitutional now because that's an American citizen. She has a right to due process, but she mm-hmm. has now been murdered. I mean, it's it is murder. You can't define it any other way. This is an American girl who has been murdered without a right to trial. She's never been accused of anything. She has been assassinated by the U.S. government. Yeah, she's a minor. How can she be held accountable for, you know, uh, anything that you might accuse her of? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a fascinating, fascinating thought. And I have no doubt that people who are Trump supporters will say, well, that's how war goes. That's just the way it is. Yeah, it's a means to an end. You know, well, I want to I want to yeah. be safe. I want to make sure my kids are safe. Like this is, you know, unless, it was you, do this, when- unless you kill about 40,000 more kids and their families, uh, you're just stirring the hornet's nest more. These people are going to come back twice as hard because now you're killing, killing little kids and, you know, continuing to bomb them. Yeah. And people will say it was wrong when Obama did it, and now that Trump is doing it, they're going to go, well, you know, it's the cost of war. Right. Or well, <laughs> the people on, on the left who, uh, who are OK Ugh. with it. And, you know, it's this this is what brings up like there's so many protests. And actually, I got to before we wrap up, I got to I got to run a quick actually, you know, let me run a, a quick uh, ad just to keep the show lights on. Ryan, and then and, we'll uh, talk so, about protests. Yeah, then we're talking about protests because it's perfect. It's right in here. So let me just roll this uh, this ad. And now a message from the White House. Hi, everybody. As you might have noticed, there's a lot of protesting going on these days. And it can get a little bit confusing. So the Trump administration wants to make it as easy as possible for you and everybody that you like to protest for and with can have your special day in the sun. The White House has created a page just for you where groups can register their protest, schedule a date and time, and even reserve a color for your pussy hat. Trump is as for free speech as he is against filthy refugee scum. Don't like that? Well, don't forget to book a date on the calendar then. And I hear the Pew's pussies haven't even been taken yet. Again, that's whitehouse.gov forward slash protest calendar. So there you go. Perfect. Perfect. Right into the ad. Right back. So, yeah, protests, man. There's so many protests. And, you know, Women's March happened. The March for Life's going on. They're doing a march for science, you know, because about climate change, because Trump doesn't like the climate change. So there's all these protests going on. And I can't stop but wonder where were all the protests that were anti-war protests when Obama was in office. Why are we not? I I mean, if you're going to protest something instead of like the Women's March, which seemed to protest a bunch of a bunch of things, none of which actually impacted any of the women at that immediate time. Protest people killing children. Protest going to war constantly. But I mean, we've been at war for what the past thirty years, undeclared. But we've been in a state of constant war. Protest that. Sure, I, I think that's hard to. Uh, I think it's hard for people to grasp that because they can't imagine how that affects their lives directly. But. Uh, it, 
can we can we digress to what you were saying about how the the women at the women's march were protesting things that don't affect their lives directly today? Yeah. Can you expand upon that a little bit? Well, here's what I mean by that is that it's like I, I was watching a lot of the women's march. You know, my my wife actually went down there. So you'd see a bunch of different people protesting. And so they would they kind of mashed. 20 issues into one, it seemed. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't anything. It was like, you know, half of them were saying, oh, it's about abortion rights, which, you know, abortion rights haven't been taken away yet. Okay. Half of them were saying it was about uh, Planned Parenthood and defunding Planned Parenthood. Okay. Then the other half were saying, oh, this is about rights for uh, for Muslims. And then they were saying this is about rights for, uh, you know, black women. So it was like all these different things. Yeah. None of which seem to make a coherent point to say we're here for this one thing or we're here for something that immediately impacts us. Because no, you know, Trump just was in office. And you wonder, right. like, you know, and, and just protesting because he's sexist, because he grabs pussies. You know, they made their pussy hats. Yes. Um, so it just seemed like this un, unorganized mishmash of just like we're pissed off that Hillary Clinton lost and we're just going to yell about it. That's what it came across to as me more than anything really salient. Well, that's interesting that you bring that up because, I mean, I do I do feel like the women's protest was uh, we want to stand up and make our voices heard against anything that is anti-woman. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's that was the goal for a lot of them. I feel like a lot of them actually showed up with that in mind. But then it always happens that people break off and make their own more specific ideas heard. And then, and I was actually going to bring this up and I'm glad you did. Um, I'm always concerned with people who see the protest and then aren't quite sure what the message is. And so then the protest just ends up creating opposition when it it was never intended to. Um, Somebody who is a dear friend of mine, uh, Moshe Kasher, great comedian. He's got a a show coming out on Comedy Central soon. Um, Moshe made the point uh, that Occupy Wall Street directly gave rise to Bernie Sanders. He made that point, and I immediately thought, I think Occupy Wall Street directly gave rise to Donald Trump. (laughs) Exactly. I think there were a lot of people in America (laughs) looking at the Occupy Wall Street people saying, I don't know what they want. I don't know what their point is. And I'm so angry that they're doing that, that I'm always going to vote against them. Yep. And so when those people said Bernie Sanders, everybody went, no, I'm not doing that. And by the way, what's the opposite of him? Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. Um, I did not go to the Women's March, and I, there are women in my life that are um, giving me grief about that. <laughs> However, I will tell you where I was during the Women's March, and that is I was with a woman, and I was giving her an orgasm. Nicely so I done. I can. All right. Look, I'm doing my thing for women in my own way on a personal level. I'm, I'm getting it done in the home is, is where I make it happen. <laughs> well, you know, the most the, the biggest and most powerful movement start in the home. And that's what I've heard right. was you well, had a very big and powerful movement. I'm empowering. Thank you. It's an average size movement. <laughs> um, I'm empowering her to go out and succeed on her own. That's my brand of feminism. Okay, I mean that's how I look at it. If only everyone would strive to have the same uh-huh. embracing uh, support of women. <laughs> right, but no, but you now- make a very good point though, and that I mean, like you look at people like you know, let's say let's use Black Lives Matter because I remember this distinctly. Uh, they blocked freeways, like that was a big thing. They kept blocking freeways, and you go, okay, if there are people out there that really are well, even on the fence, how can you be on the fence about racism? Or, but but just using them as a point. Um, you know, people, yeah, that counter reaction is very powerful. So I think that's a very, very good point that you made. Yeah. And that's why you always want your protest to be civil. 
You always want it to be non-disruptive. You always want your protest to say, look how many people are on our side. Look at our display of power rather than look at what we set on fire. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> and you know, the, the march- people who have their stuff on fire go, well, I don't like that at all. Yeah. And that's what the protest again, you know, at Trump's inauguration, that was just like clown school where they're you know throwing trash cans through windows and setting stuff on fire and setting a girl's hair on fire. That's where you go. You're you're counterproductive, you know, and yeah. the Women's March, even though it was a little bit all over the damn place, you did have to take a step back in awe and say, you know, they got a hell of a lot of women and men, you know, anybody that wanted to go out and march. But they did get an incredible turnout and it was an incredible spectacle. But, yeah, you do step away and you go, what was it for again? You know, uh, sure. Well, I, I, I think uh, the Women's March, because it was peaceful and because there was very little destruction and because you you were in awe of those numbers, I would call that a, a successful protest. Um, but only if it continues, only if you can draw those same numbers or bigger throughout this administration yeah. and say, look, we, we've been doing this from the beginning and we're going to continue. You know, I, I moved to San Francisco when I was 18 and then uh, George George W. Bush was in office. San Francisco had a lot of protests and every single one, you never knew what people were <laughs> protesting for. If it was for gay marriage, if they were on, on board for legalizing marriage. Awana, if they wanted, you know, um, just acknowledgement of of asexual rights. <laughs> I, I don't I don't want to sleep with anybody. Acknowledge me. And all these people <laughs> That's are just the alt alt right, I believe. And and you thought this was like supposed to be an anti-war protest. And you're like, <laughs> I'm not even sure where the war signs are. Like those protests were so, uh, you know, they were so unrelated that it was hard to tell. I think the the women's one, even though it had little fractions of people doing different things, whether it be about black women or abortion or whatever, it was still women related. So I'm going to go ahead and give that to them. But I will I will denounce this whole Uber Uber protest right. is completely out of their mind. Good. You know, that was, I, good. You brought that up because I kind of I skipped over it. I meant to talk about that. Yeah. The hashtag delete Uber protest. I don't. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know about the hashtag delete Uber. Uh, yeah. People are protesting. And the reason they're protesting, I thought it was because Uber, the guy was, you know, on Trump's cabinet. And there was just some kind of like, oh, well, we hate Trump, which is still a big part of it. But. Uh, Uh Basically, so the taxi cab drivers in New York City, I believe, and probably some other places, uh, but I know JFK for one, they took an hour off providing taxi service to say, oh, we're standing with the immigrants because a lot of them are immigrants. Okay, that makes sense. If you want to do that, taxi union, go. And I guess Lyft also didn't pick people up during that time. But Uber was like, oh, no, no, we're what? You want you need to get somewhere, right? Why should you be inconvenienced by this protest? Like we're talking uh-huh. about, don't inconvenience people. They they hate it. So he goes, right. yeah, we're gonna keep picking you up. And to be nice guys, uh, no surging prices. Yes, and they're being there, accused of strike breaking. <laughs> yes, there is a level of perspective there that um, I think people are missing because they all want to take this perspective that Uber was like, oh, we're gonna try to make money off the fact that Lyft and taxis aren't running. We're going to take advantage of the market by, you know, offering people rides and not offering the surge pricing. We're just going to give rides at the regular rate. Our our numbers should go up that way. And it it could be viewed just the opposite. Hey, um, while they're taking time off, you could take our service to the protest. There you go. You can get there because <laughs> of us. Right. Like you could view it from a billion different angles where Uber is helping. And you can also view it from the angle. I don't know um, if you've ever been to LAX. 
So if you're a taxi driver and it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving and you do not want to go into that mess, you automatically get to come up with some sort of excuse not to go that people like, but really you're just doing it to save your own ass. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I mean, that's a cynical perspective. Um, why don't you want to take that perspective? If you're going to take that cynical perspective against Uber, why not do it across the board? People make these weird choices all the time, and I don't, I don't understand any of them. Uber is still on my phone. I've not taken an Uber ride, but it's still on my phone. Yeah, see, I usually I'm I'm typically an Uber guy. I'll take Lyft as well, and uh, but I just have used Uber. It's set up for me, so typically I'll I'll take Uber. Although they seem to all be Uber and Lyft now, anyway. So even though people are like I'm boycotting Lyft, it's like well, or I'm boycotting Uber. It's like well, really, if you're using Lyft, you're probably using the same driver anyway. He doesn't care. Yeah, you know, if he right. he can turn his phone off and not take the rides if he's supporting the protesters or the taxi drivers or the Muslim, you know. So it's like give me a break. But yeah, that yeah. filter, that selective filter people put on is just, uh, God, uh, drives me nuts. <laughs> the whole hashtag drives me nuts. Yes, it's insane. It's complete insanity. And I'm glad that you didn't participate and neither did I. No, I thank people. I said, thank you for keeping the surging down by deleting Uber. <laughs> You're making my life easier. Yeah, I, I had that same thought. I'm like, I can't <laughs> believe there are fewer customers out there. And now we still have the same amount of drivers. This is great for me. <laughs> I will pay less. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let the market speak. Let uh, the market decide. <laughs> delete your apps, everybody. <laughs> delete all of your apps. I want, especially Facebook. I want to be just screaming into the abyss on Facebook. I want to be the one less. I want to, you know, I'm going to go back to MySpace and I invite you to join me, Ryan. Let's just go and be the only two people on MySpace. <laughs> Um, I do not uh, look at stuff on Facebook. I just I don't I don't do it. I never got into that habit, and so I never got I never had to get out of it. You must be such a happy person. I scroll through sometimes, <laughs> um, uh, just randomly because I'm I have to go into like prune my personal Facebook account mm -hmm. and you know add a comment and you know make a <laughs> statement and say I'm going to be performing at the Punchline in February in San Francisco. Come on out and uh, what are those while dates I'm again. Uh, 23, 24, 25 at the Punchline in San Francisco. Um, liberal, great San Francisco. <laughs> they have so many problems and I yell in their faces about it. <laughs> You're uh, doing God's but work. But I man. go in there and I end up seeing a few comments and then I just smile and I go, oh, this is insanity. I do not know why we gave the people a voice. <laughs> the people don't read enough to deserve a voice. <laughs> That's true. Now, this, you know, people had to, before, if they really wanted to say something dumb in a public forum, they had to get out a pen and paper or a typewriter and they had to write to their newspaper and get it in the editorial page. Now, eh, anybody can throw it up. Or they had to have the courage to like get up at a public meeting and say something and we would all be able to look at them and say, oh, that person has been smoking methamphetamines. I think mostly oh, those okay. people just go on sign or street corners wearing like the sandwich boards, right? To make their statements. Yes. The uh, yeah. The, the <laughs> Jesus signs on the corner of Hollywood and Highland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, you know what? I got no more topics for you. You have anything else you want to say? Uh, otherwise, I'm going to wrap this, this podcast up. Yeah, again, I mean, I just always encourage people to look me up on YouTube and give my stand-up a taste. There are very short clips on there that are 30 seconds long. There are long clips that are 30 minutes long. And I encourage you to just give it a click, give it a try. It's like a trip to the museum where you go, ah, oh, I wonder what this comedian creates. And then you get to see some stuff, and then uh, it's uh, it's over. It's over. So please give me a look. There you go. Take a sip of stout. 
You can use yeah. that, Ryan. That's that's yours. That's your slogan. Zip a stout. Take it home with you. All right, man. Well, <laughs> thank you so one. much. Uh, always love to have you on, and I hope to hope to see you soon in person. So, uh, God, Absolutely. God loves you. And thanks, thanks for always having me. Yeah, man. Anytime. So, Talk from Electric time. Liberty Land and all of our uh, our wonderful listeners, thank you again, uh, guys. Remember Ryan Stout. Check him out on YouTube. Check him out on the Facebooks. Check him out at ryanstout.com. And a reminder to check us out on all of our various social media platforms. Again, Lines of Liberty on Twitter. You can find us on uh, Facebook, the Lines of Liberty Forum. Make sure to check that out as well. And also, huge news: we have T-shirts now. T-shirts to clothe your body and chafe your nipples. You can find those at lionsofliberty.com. No, no, no. Lionsofliberty.store. Sorry, my first rodeo with the T-shirts. So again, guys, thank you so much uh, from Electric Liberty Land, where you're always plugged in to liberty. Some very special bonus content here. I know we wrapped it up with Ryan Stout, but I happen to have... The one and only man of legal mystery, Rico, staying with me tonight. Again, as you all know, uh, I book my guests solely based upon who's sleeping on the couch or in the spare bedroom. So, Rico, hello. Welcome. Hey there. Um, I was under the impression that, uh, like you had the month of January off drinking, I had the month of January off podcasting, but... Here I am. Well, neither of us made it. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> a few days early. Yeah. So Rico's here, which is great, because as you know, he's a lawyer, one of them filthy lawyers. So this gives us a great opportunity to talk about two things that happened later on Tuesday. And that is the Supreme Court nomination of Judge Neil Gorsuch. I think that's how you say it. I might be wrong. And also a little bit of uh, drama around the firing of Attorney General Sally Q. Yates. So we're going to do a quick five-minute bonus content here for you guys. Uh, Rico, what do you what do you think about the Supreme Court nominee here? I'm uh, very excited. I had him in my Libertarian Justice Dynasty League two wow. years ago in the fifteenth oh. round. So <laughs> he's really coming through for me. Uh, I I don't really know a whole lot about him other than what I've read today, but I, I do see the liberals going up in arms about him, saying he's a uh, a threat to basically every single thing that um, has been accomplished in American society over the last 200 years. So I guess that's a good thing. Yeah, well, you know, if, if anything liberals against, I tend to be for, I think. Not everything, but I, the one thing I see liberals be like, oh, well, we don't know. Uh, well, I mean, what about gay rights? Because he sided with Hobby Lobby in the religious rights. Basically, you know, where Obamacare was saying you have to provide contraceptives. And he sided with Hobby Lobby saying, uh, you know, well, we shouldn't have to give contraceptives. We're a religious organization. Why should we go against our beliefs? So that kind of thing. So he's a big supporter of religious liberties, I guess. And that does uh, that rubs libertarian not libertarians that rubs liberals the wrong way, of course. Well, uh, on an unrelated point, though, it seems like they th- there's a little bit of irony being lost on liberals because one of the things that he is most known for is his opposition to the uh, legal doctrine known as a Chevron um, deference, which basically means if there is an ambiguity in a statute, the Supreme Court had ruled, well, the ambiguity should be resolved in favor of the position the executive is advocating for. 
And and um, Gorsuch is against that. So he is almost advocating against further executive overreach, which should kind of be the position liberals are happy about right now because they're terrified of Trump overreach. So one his if that is his most famous kind of argument he set forth, and it's anti-executive, at least in that uh, respect, you'd think they would be a little bit happy about that. So, Well, except that you forget that most liberals are also going to read Chevron and think, Big Oil owns this judge. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't get around that argument. <laughs> he also had a, a, a good or at least interesting position on, I, I, you could kind of say, criminal defendant rights or private property rights. There was a, a decision... He wasn't in the majority, so his position wasn't kind of controlling, but there was a situation where uh, police officers conducted a no-knock search warrant, or and the court had said there wasn't a warrant, but they said there was implied consent by the homeowner for the officers to come into the property, even though the officer or the homeowner had said and put up multiple no trespassing signs. So somehow the majority of the court said, oh, you know, don't worry about the no trespassing signs. This person obviously wanted people to walk into his right. house. Right. They, they don't <laughs> mind the federal government being able to come in. They just didn't want regular everyman Joe coming in. Yeah. That was like a thing. He wrote up the, his uh, opinion and it was something along the lines of what if they had put up razor wire and yeah. fences? Is it still implied and that the government can come in? Trap doors, I believe, made its way into his <laughs> right. position. So uh, that was interesting. I think some of the bigger problems, the... Um, liberals have with him is their fear of what, how he'll rule on abortion. Even though he's never really said anything directly on point, he wrote a book back in, I don't know, 2002 or something where he weighed in on assisted suicide and said, uh, life should never be taken by another person. Um, it, it's something to be cherished. So I guess they're reading that. I mean, it's yeah, I I, 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 I saw, thought the same thing. And that actually pissed me off. That's one of the I couldn't find a lot of cons about him. That was one of the few is that I don't see how any <laughs> I don't I don't know. So anybody can say that someone else doesn't have the right to end their own life. I mean, what more of a right can you have over your own body than to say, you know what? I've had it with this life and ended up so I can see how that would project onto abortion as well. Right. Oh, I think the nuance there is it was assisted suicide. So there's someone else being involved in, in the process of that. Um, and I, I think uh, outside of his positions, one of the interesting developments will be, all right, are the Democrats going to try to filibuster this? Because they don't have enough votes to um, prevent the nomination unless they go to the filibuster. But if they go to the filibuster, then Trump and Senate could go to the so-called nuclear option and eliminate the filibuster rules and the Democrats actually went that route for, I think, in 2006 for lower federal court nominations. So it's going to be interesting. Do they really want to pick this battle? Because in the end, it's not necessarily one they can win. Yeah, exactly. And also, and this guy, he, look, he's probably not one of the worst people that could be coming as well. Maybe maybe keep this bullet in the chamber if you're the Democrats because, you know, what is it, Kennedy that's going to be uh, retiring soon? Maybe. Uh, but – um, actually, um, Gorsuch was a, a law clerk for Kennedy. Oh, so, interesting. so they were thinking, well, maybe this is 
in some ways a Trump olive branch to Kennedy to well, try and to his get classmates him. with Obama. <laughs> <laughs> Try to get him another legal constitutional scholar right there. <clears throat> um, professor, so obviously he knows all about the Constitution. Clearly. But uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if Kennedy stays on, which I think a lot of people expect him to for at least another, you know, well, he's 80. So we'll try to hold on. Yeah. But uh, we'll see. It doesn't necessarily alter the makeup of the court. Um, it'll still be 5-4 with Kennedy being the kind of swing vote on many situations. But I think it'll be an interesting nomination process. And, you know, I kind of have a problem with the whole rhetoric against an originalist just on its own, because to me, and I'm sure a lot of people will disagree, if you're you're against original intent, it, it kind of means that, well, you can't get your your position to be law through the legislative process. You want the courts to be able to find certain rights or that your position is best. So, so you're really appealing to the judgment of nine people rather than the will of the people. That, that's kind of a broad brush, but just kind of my opinion on the matter hmm. or whatever that's worth. Well, I appreciate <laughs> your opinion as I'm sure the audience does as well. Ah, they don't care. <laughs> Probably not. But I want, I want to throw out a quote here from, uh, from, possible future Supreme Court judge Neil Gorsuch. Because uh, basically, Neil, he also expressed it that he felt judges have become too politicized and have basically uh, taken their role as, you know, uh, deciders of what it should be or should not be under the rule of law a little bit too far as far as their personal views. So they become tools of the system. And here's the quote. Judges come to be seen as politicians and their confirmations become just another avenue of political warfare. Respect for the role of judges and the legitimacy of the judiciary branch as a whole diminishes. So that's a wonderful quote, just expressing that, you know, he's he wants to keep the uh, the executive branch and the judicial branch very separate, as well as keeping them far, far away from the pressures and uh, machinations of all the evildoers in, uh, in the House and the Senate. Yeah, I, well, I think that goes along with my point. He's saying, you know, when judges are politicized, they're writing the laws, which is not the role of the judiciary branch. The judiciary branch is supposed to just decide, okay, is this legal? You know, is it is the rule constitutional? If it is, you know, how does the rule of law apply to the facts? And, you know, when you get to the Supreme Court, it, it's almost become, okay, well, we want five of these nine judges to decide in our favor so that our interpretation or, or we can write the laws without having to go through that bothersome process of, you know, actually writing a law and getting it enacted the old fashioned way. So I think me and uh, the old judge here on uh, equal intellectual footing. <laughs> Clearly. Well, I can't wait to see your nomination. Uh, as soon as Kennedy's bumped off, Trump, call Rico. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything you want to sum up real quick about the attorney general getting fired? I know you have a uh, succinct opinion. I believe I share about this whole situation. Uh, I, well, I, I just thought it was political grandstanding. There, there's nothing beyond that. Um, she, she was obviously a holdover from the Obama administration. She agreed to be the temporary attorney general, and one of the jobs of the attorney general is to kind of you know, follow the executive um, directions, I guess. Um, and she, fine. She doesn't like the executive order, 
set forth by Trump, you can resign. You don't send your boss a letter saying, I don't agree with this and I'm not going to do it. Yeah. If you and, disagree- and tell the whole Justice Department yeah. not to yeah. not to support it. If you don't agree with it, fine, resign. You know, to me, she, she had a couple of days left on the job. She knew that. She is going to get, you know progressives uh, she's going to be uh fitted for sainthood or whatever the expression <laughs> yeah. is for turning her nose at the evil donald trump i'm sure she's going to parlay this into a job on msnbc or, or, or whatever oh, clearly yeah um but you know the fact of the matter there's a very simple answer you don't agree with something you resign it was, donald trump was completely correct to fire her um so you know it, it just it's just her pandering to her, you know, I guess the left. That, that's what I thought. Yeah. Well, you know what? If this was a murder case and she was a defendant for a murderer and she went out and made a public statement being like, you know what? I think my client, uh, I can't defend him. He looks like, you know, he's pretty guilty. I think you'd probably be in some hot water, but she's just going to be able to walk away. Just oh, fired. She, she'll be fine. Uh, she's the martyr for the progressives. And, hey, she she parlayed her position perfectly for what she's probably going for. So kudos to her, I suppose. <laughs> yes, kudos indeed. All right. Well, that'll do it for our little bonus content here. Thank you, Rico, as always. We'll have you on for a nice full a full meal of Electric Liberty Land sometime very soon. Oh, uh, well, that's not my contract. This, this counts to my, to my yearly quota, so we'll have to renegotiate for that. Sounds like you're itching to be fired, just like <laughs> Sally Q. Yates was, buddy. All right. From all of us to all of you, seal it.